like we got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. that. We don't got time for that Let's go. Crank it. Crank it. Let it cross. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. And on today's edition of RCST, we're going to be talking uh, a little KU football. We're going to be talking KU basketball after they take down Seton Hall last night. Absolute blowout victory. We're going to talk with David Lawrence about John Hadle, got Chiefs preview, game picks, and a lot of your Friday segments here on the show. We start out with this report from Brett McMurphy of Action Network earlier today. Quote, the border war between Missouri and Kansas has been dormant since 2011, but there was an opportunity for the iconic rivalry to resume in the Liberty Bowl this month. There was just one problem. Missouri didn't want to play Kansas, so the matchup will not happen. Industry sources told Action Network. (laughs) Goes on to say, the Jayhawks, who are making their first bowl appearance since 2008, were not opposed to playing the Tigers in a bowl, sources said. Schools provide their bowl preferences in the conferences. Bowls and schools usually come to an agreement whenever possible. It's not unusual for schools to request not playing certain opponents in the postseason, sources said. The Liberty Bowl is one of three that matches SEC versus Big 12 opponents. The other two are the Sugar and Texas Bowls. Missouri and Kansas are both 6-6. Six and six. A, This was a quote from an industry source that told this to Brett McMurphy. A 6-6 six and six team dictating who they don't want to play in a bowl? What a world. What a world. <laughs> Welcome to the Clown Show, Derek, featuring Missouri. <laughs> oh, you don't want to play Kansas? Oh, that sucks. But uh, don't you find this funny at all that earlier this week you were like, I don't want to play Missouri in a bowl? Listen, I personally did not want to play Missouri in the bowl. <laughs> if they ended up playing Missouri in the bowl, I would have been excited for it. I would have been, all right, let's go, let's go, mm-hmm. let's go beat them up. You know, whatever. I'm, I'm down for it. I would have been gung ho. I just personally did not want it, right? I understand, you know, the the allure of it or whatever, right? I didn't. I don't. If they ended up playing Missouri, I would have been fine. I would not have had any problems, right? I was just, I would just prefer to be happy. Whereas then I'm going to be a lot more stressed to play Missouri. But I'm not going to be. I'm not going to be mad about it. I'm not going to be. I wasn't. You know, I wasn't afraid to play them. The, they're afraid to play Kansas. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Well, this is this is what a joke. This is great. It's funny. It's going to be uh, brought up a lot. Certainly for Missouri, they okay. are they are getting killed in the PR game. Well, I saw also, their, their their football count. Yeah, why did they yeah, do that? Do stupid. Why did they, they quote do that? Tweeted the the report, the tweet, whatever from Brett Dude, McMurphy. Like PR one yeah. in a situation like this is don't do anything. Their football count don't say said anything. not true. We will play anyone anywhere in a bowl game. And uh, first of all, the fact that this came out at like noon after the original report came out this morning was just hilarious. Um, I don't believe the Missouri football thing. I'll, I'll say this. Um, so dumb. So how do people continue to mess up PR, by the way? <laughs> this happened like every day we have some catastrophic PR situation and the people involved always mess it up. Well, certainly a it's. But this is hilarious. It is. And it's going to be something funny for, for Kansas that they can kind of hold over Missouri now. And I mean, it's it's something where Missouri is like, 
This is like uh, something that like Jeff Long would have done. It's just, it's they're they're so mad at their own school because they're like, come <laughs> on, like even if we would have lost, that would have been better than like now we're basically like chickening out, you know. And I I wonder, do you think that there's any chance that the source okay. that gave this to Brett McMurphy is someone from KU? Because I'm not saying I'm not saying this <laughs> from a standpoint to say that it's wrong. I'm saying in that. Missouri said to like the Liberty Bowl, we're not going to play Kansas. And so the Liberty Bowl reached out to Kansas and was like, well, we were going to have you if it was the Missouri game because we were sold out. But because it's not, we're going to choose someone else. And so Kansas is pissed. They're like, well, we wanted that game. We were going to sell out. We we're going to get trade ticket sales. So they leaked this to Brett McMurphy because they were like, well, now Missouri is going to get ethered in the press for for doing this. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, does, does Kansas have like a... I would love that media warfare. Does Kansas have like a... I, I guess I don't know how this works. Do, do, school, do these schools have like bowl representatives so to speak like does the individual school or yeah the bowl? like the school i don't think so i think it's just done with like the uh, that's like what, whoever you know, the athletic, athletic director is. and okay. athletic department and i guess even the the head of the football team which like lance Leipold and stuff um i i think here's what i do think is more likely as far as that goes that would just be a fun for me like to think that kansas yeah basically just oh, yeah. caused this problem <laughs> for missouri but i i do think here's probably what happened which might be pretty telling brett mcburphy is really plugged in with the bowl games and knowing who's going to play where. And he's a lot of the times the guy that leaks the information on whether it's today, earlier this week, or tomorrow, Sunday, that X team is going to play an X bowl game. He is very plugged in with the different bowls, and I'm sure they're bowl representatives. So if he got this information and you see all this stuff about different sources um, talking to him about Missouri doing this, that tells me these sources are plugged in or are with the Liberty Bowl. And even after this, he's projecting Kansas to play in the Liberty Bowl against Arkansas. I almost wonder if that's basically him saying, hey, look, I'm hearing all this from the Liberty Bowl, which means if I'm picking Kansas in the Liberty They're- Bowl, that means I've been told by the Liberty Bowl that Kansas <laughs> is playing in the Liberty Bowl. Does that make sense? No, that that, that would make sense. So that's my, my guess right now where Kansas will be playing. One of it's my favorite reactions uh, from actually from Kevin Flaherty, friend of the show, tweeted out, if Missouri doesn't play Kansas, this kind of feels like the guy that doesn't really want to fight, but then gets behind somebody and says, "You better be glad he's holding me back. Yeah. You better be glad I got this big, uh, strong man in front of me. Otherwise, I'd be beating you up." I love it. Oh, I'm sure you would be. I love it. Golly, Missouri, jeez. Well, we're learning. We'll learn about the bowl guys. sometime this weekend. But uh, that is certainly funny and, and adds some entertainment to it. <clears throat> but counterpoint: What if? What? What if this is? You know, KU wants to play the game, or the Liberty Bowl really wants the game, and Missouri has been cautious about playing the game, and so this is the well, Liberty Bowl's way of leaking out information so that Missouri now feels like somebody is well, being like, well, I triple-dog dare you play the game. Well, what's silly about this is, can't the Liberty Bowl just pick whoever they want regardless? That's a good question. Right? I don't so know. can't they just be like screw I guess you? Missouri could be like we're anyways? not showing up. Right? Yeah, like yeah, like it'd be a, it'd be a game about. of chicken. Like can't but listen. It'd saying, be like when a player says, "If I get drafted here, I'm not going to play there." <laughs> it's like they might, they might not. So like, would that just be a forfeit then? How would that work? Oh my gosh, that'd be even better. They pick well, Missouri that's not, and that's then not you get a forfeit. Saying, like the bowl then game would suck because you wouldn't actually get to play like, in a bowl. This the school, especially if you're like kind of like this. What this last quote was like: a six and six team should not be able to say what have a say which bowl game they're playing, and it should be. If the bull picks you, that's where you're going. So so can't the Liberty Bull just say, screw you, Missouri, we're picking you anyways? I guess technically they could deny it because they could say that we have other options. And but then they would could, they? 
Well, they could accept a bull bid well, to but somewhere now, else. What other bull, what other bull is going to want to pick them? Because they're being clowns and saying, <laughs> we're not going to play in the bull game. Ridiculous. Yeah. Well, uh, you had a nice counter because I, I saw some Missouri fans saying this, that, um, well, why would we want to play on that day? We play Kentucky in basketball that day. So it's just us trying to avoid that. They did it last year. <laughs> last year they played Illinois on the same day that they played Army, and they lost. They lost both games. <laughs> So you just want to don't you just don't want to lose twice on the same day then? Okay, cool. You can just lose one day and then lose the other day. I wow, it. I love it. All right, well, uh, good. God, switching geez. gears here on RCST. KU takes down Seton Hall, ninety-one to sixty-five last night. Seton Hall might not be good, but also like Seton I do, Hall stinks. They might, but I also think that there, was an A game from Kansas. Well. There were certain things. We'll share the Bill Self press conference at the 5 o'clock hour. Still not happy with, like, the ball screen defense, and, and it wasn't a perfect game. But yeah. I, I do feel like, overall, that was a very well-played game, especially at this early part in the stage uh, for Kansas. And the fact that you made a at least semi-competent team look that bad, I think also speaks to how well Kansas played. Yeah, I, I think it was a solid game for Kansas, but Seton Hall is is bad. I think I think they're bad. And also, they they shot like barely fifty percent from the free throw line in that mm-hmm. game. If they shoot a little better, it's I mean, there's, they would still lose by double digits for sure. But it would have been a little more competitive, maybe. Uh, but yeah, no question, Seton Hall is bad. But yes, that was a really clean game from KU, right? And when you have a team with the level of that KU has, especially when you play just a clean game, like you don't even have to be playing like an A game. When you play a clean game like that, and you're Kansas you're probably going to win more often than not, right? Because you have the talent at the skill position. You have guys like Jalen Wilson. You have guys like Grady Dick. You have Dewan Harris, who's an excellent floor general. Like, if you just play a clean game, you're probably going to be in position to win, right? Especially when you have a team like Seton Hall who was playing really sloppily and did not really look in sync at all for a good chunk of the game, right? So this was a very impressive game from Kansas because we have seen Kansas, you know, struggle in different areas of, of their of their game, especially on the offense, right? And the funny thing is, we were we talked about this in the preview. What was one? What was the one thing that Seton Hall was like, kind of hanging their hat on? They were allegedly a good defensive team. Well, that didn't that, no. that didn't end up happening well, also, against Kansas. They were a good offensive rebounding team, and that didn't happen either. So, so you know, I think it was I think it was a combination of Kansas playing really well, but also Seton Hall either a just being bad or b having a really bad night, which you never want to have a bad night when you're in Allen because you lose by thirty, like Seton Hall did. Yeah, and and as much as beating good teams is the most important thing, when you do play teams that aren't you know top twenty five good, blow them out. Show that you can be much better than them. Yeah, that, that's an important skill to have, and you showed that last night. Super balanced game, probably the most balanced scoring game we've seen from this team. For it sure. wasn't just Jalen and Grady. And hey, we got the we had the, we had the question in the mailbag yesterday: Who's going to be the first Jayhawk to to lead the team in scoring besides Jalen and Grady? And it happened immediately yesterday. Uh, Kevin McCuller at 17. Yeah, and obviously we had the discussion yesterday before the game of like the reports of, well, he was going to try and go. We weren't really sure what that meant. And then he ends up being out there starting and playing a good chunk of the game, right? So uh, I don't know if, if maybe his groin situation was overblown or if maybe he just felt really good uh, leading up to the game. But certainly he came out and, and played really, really well for Kansas. There was also a moment uh, in the second half at one point where he was he kind of came up limping after a play, but he seemed okay. Uh, he's able to shake it off at least. So, you know, I clearly still banged up, and you want a guy like that to be healthy. But, yeah, very impressive showing from him considering the circumstances and considering certainly earlier this week, I, I think there was probably 
no doubt that he was not going to play, right? I think there was people saying, oh, well, he's definitely out for Seton Hall. And then he ended up coming back and, and putting on a show. Yeah, he was awesome. 17 points, 10 rebounds, good defense again, almost a handful of steals. I mean, him and him and Jalen Wilson combined for 32 points, 23 rebounds. Yeah, so if you get that from those two guys and then you throw in 14, 15 a game from Grady Dick, you're going to be in pretty good shape, I think. If, 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 it, if it, Like I said, we've had this kind of this, this circular discussion about who the third scorer is going to be. We thought it might be MJ Rice. Kevin McCuller, we just don't know if he's going to be consistently that third scorer. But, I mean, if Kevin McCuller is low 30s on three-point shooting and can hit when he's open from three, like, that certainly will play for Kansas and will be very beneficial, especially, you know, in that situation. I think we saw it against Tennessee where Tennessee was not afraid of anybody else shooting threes besides Grady Dick. And when that's the case, they can just face guard him and then it doesn't, right, it doesn't matter, right? But if you have a guy like Kevin McCuller or even Jalen Wilson who can shoot in the low to mid-30s, if those guys can knock down open threes, that's going to force teams to be a little more respectful and create some more space for Grady Dick then to maybe show what he can do, right? Yeah, and and I think that for McCuller, you're going to be at your best offensively this season if he's averaging 12-13 a game as opposed to like 8 or 9 in the early going of the part of the season. Really weird game from the fives. Like, really good scoring night from KJ and Ernest. Both had uh, 21 combined, 11 and 10 from each individually. Um, in total, the center's at 23 points. They went 8 of 10 shooting. But they also, between KJ, Uday, Zuby, and Clements, even though they had a good scoring game, they had four combined <laughs> rebounds. So I, I don't know what that shows because that actually, like we said, was a good rebounding game for Kansas. Does that just show that any of their rebounding issues and for them to be a good rebounding team, it is more on the wings than it is the big men? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean... Jalen Wilson has been the leader in rebounding, I think, most games this season for KU as it is, and Kevin McCuller's shown to be an excellent rebounder as well. And so I think especially if you're going to be rolling out KJ a lot and playing smaller, then yes, you're going to be looking at your wings to to do more of the dirty work on the rebounding. But if Zuby or Uday kind of blossom a little more, then maybe that takes some of the pressure off of, of your wings. But, but yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, if you're crashing the glass – does it really matter who's getting the <laughs> – really, I mean, no, it no. seems kind of silly, I guess, but, like, does it really matter? No, right? and, like, and, I mean, sometimes a center can not wind up with the rebound, but they boxed out the guy who's most likely yeah. to get the offensive rebound, and then it leads to a wing coming in and grabbing it, which can be a good system. Like, for the longest time, Russell Westbrook would um, rack up offensive would, – would rack up rebounds for Oklahoma City, and some people would say that it was just them trying to rack up triple-doubles for him, which maybe there was a certain sense of that, but also – if you have Steven Adams boxing someone out and your most explosive dynamic player is the one who grabs the rebound so he can start a break, that's not a bad strategy, <laughs> right? No, no, not at all. Uh, also, MJ Rice, last kind of note I have on the game, not quite the performance you hope carried over from the last game. I mean, it wasn't a bad game by any stretch. Five points, um, two of four shooting. He didn't come in, though, till the nine-minute mark of the first half. You just kind of hoped that he might pick back up right where he left off from the previous game and it was just kind of a eh, step yeah back. I think the kind of the tough thing with MJ Rice now is like I have a hard time really reading into some of his performances from night in night out because of now we have to consider I mean what he's been dealing with off the court and how much he's been able to practice right I mean I think earlier in the season it was like what's MJ Rice doing where's he at well then you find out oh he had COVID oh he had kidney stones oh he's got back you know he's having problems with his back so now it's like with a game like this it's like you know Maybe it was he was dealing with something else again, health wise or something like that, and so I don't I don't want to read too much into it, and and you know, and and again, 
he said it himself, right? He's only been able to practice a handful of times over the past month or so, basically, because of some of the stuff that he's dealing with. So I, I, my hope is that, you know, maybe with some extra time in between games because of finals and whatnot over winter break, that that allows him to kind of rest up and be in better shape. And then maybe able to start a conference play, he can get more involved a little bit more consistently. But, but yeah, I don't know. I don't really want to look too much into it because like he might've, who knows what he could have been dealing with because of what we've seen him already been dealing with so far this season. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. KU takes down Seton Hall last night. We've got some uh, player audio, Bill Self audio that will get you throughout the show here. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. Did you know that on our website, klwn.com, as well as our sister stations, 1059kissfm.com, bull929.com, we have a program called Hometown Deals. So you click the tab, and it takes you to a magical place where gift cards are 50% off. We have handfuls of different restaurants and places that you can go to that you can get a 50% off gift card to. So just go to the website, click Hometown Deals, and you'll see some of those gift cards for 50% off. If you're a business and interested in being part of this as well and getting featured ads at no cash price and just gift card cost, shoot us an email, djohnson at gpmnow.com. Welcome back in on your Friday here on Rock Jock Sports Talk. And, uh, John Hadle obviously passing away uh, a couple days ago and wanted to have David on at some point this week to kind of reflect on John Hadle because David's had obviously more interactions than, for instance, I have. And I can tell you about all the great things he did or that I read about, but it's another thing to hear it from David who has interacted with John Hadle and had him as a coach at one point as an offense coordinator. So uh, joined by David Lawrence here, Jayhawk Radio Network. And David, I appreciate you coming on here. Um, I, I kind of want to segment this out, if, if that's okay. And uh, I guess where I want to start with this is you have a, a Lorencian born, raised in Lawrence, goes to Lawrence High School. I'm, I'm sure he was an absolute star at the high school level. Uh, I guess similar to, to maybe what like a Devin Neal coming to, to Kansas would be now, but even, I guess, to, to another degree um, when you have a guy playing all these different positions and, and everything. But, you know, I, I wonder... I, I I don't know. I guess between both how big of a deal it was for him to come to Kansas and also if that ever was something where he did think about maybe not going to KU. Was that something that, that you think was, was always on the path for him, that he was going to be a Jayhawk? Well, actually, Derek, his sister, Carol, who worked in the uh, office, the football office, from when she was out of high school until she retired. Uh, I mean, she literally is a source of knowledge beyond what anyone is capable of bringing about Kansas football, but uh, I'm blessed to have her as a good friend. And she has told me a story that I'll share with you. Um, But John Hadle would be today a five-star recruit. And even though, you know, it's not the modern era when he went to Lawrence High, it must have been the early to mid-50s, he was a big deal. I mean, Lawrence High was the powerhouse. uh, And, you know, it wasn't like there wasn't any technology to spread the word about how good John Hadle was. But the big football program of the middle part of the United States was Oklahoma under Bud Wilkinson. And it's not a far stretch to understand that 
even though Kansas was in his backyard and having some success under Jack Mitchell, that going to Oklahoma and playing for Bud Wilkinson would be would be quite a thrill. Uh, they they had the nation's longest winning streak. Uh, but Jack Mitchell, who uh, actually played football and was quarterback at Oklahoma, was now the head coach at Kansas and a dynamic recruiter and happened to be living uh, not too far from where John was living and his family. And it was about Larnard Avenue on the east side of town, not far from the flower shop uh, over there you know, Haskell, 23rd area. And uh, Jack actually had uh, a small stable. As back then, you know, horses were a little more commonplace, and it was not the country, but it was uh, an area where people did still ride horses. And Jack knew that uh, John's dad, you know, grew up on a farm and liked horses. And so... uh, there was occasions where Jack would come by where John lived and have an extra horse. And uh, he and John's dad would go out riding. Um, and it was during this process that after one of those rides, uh, they spent a good couple of hours together, Jack Mitchell and John Hadle's dad, where he came back to John and said, John, I think you're going to Kansas. <laughs> and so maybe, you know, it was the recruiting of Jack Mitchell and what a wonderful tactic to do. And I think everything I can think of about that, it would be legal uh, that he was able to coax John's dad into having him, you know, give the advice to his son that, Kansas is where you need to stay. And that, you know, uh, that has a lot to do with how John Hadle ended up a Jayhawk, the recruiting of Jack Mitchell on John's dad and using a nice horse ride on a sunny afternoon. So I think it's one of the great stories uh, that I haven't shared yet with anyone. And, and thanks to Carol Hadle who gave me permission to share that story. But uh, you think about the crazy ways that very influential people ended up uh, and impacting, you know, the University of Kansas in the way that John did. And it all goes back to uh, Jack Mitchell using some creativity and uh, coming up with a friendship of John's dad. So, um, so there you have it. That's uh, a big way that we landed John Hadle, what would probably be a five-star recruit, to stay home and come to Kansas. That's that's a wonderful story. So I, obviously a big deal. And then he he obviously comes to Kansas, and um, no matter what he played, he was just he was like all American level. He held the record for longest interception returned at ninety-four yards till I think two thousand seven. He was an all American level punter. He had the longest punt in. KU history and um, averaged, I think, 45 yards per punt is, is one year, which I believe led the country. He was an All-American level halfback and then took over as quarterback the last few years. I mean, for that alone, I, I don't know if, if you have in your head who you've thought of as, as being the, the greatest KU football player of all time, but certainly if you were doing a Mount Rushmore of the top four players, 
he would be on that list. I mean, you have other great players too with, you know, Gail Sayers and, and John Riggins and so many players down the list. But certainly just for the versatility alone, playing every position he did at such a high level, uh, I guess for, for someone maybe who, who is a little bit younger and, and didn't either, you know, get to see him play or wasn't on the aftermath of him playing where the legend was still kind of around campus, how would you describe that to someone in, in how he was such a great player and why he was so great? Well, as I was describing with, with uh, Greg Gurley last night, it, it would be like Devin Neal, who is getting close to the all-conference level. But just think of Devin being a first-team All-American and the praise that that would draw and the attention it would draw towards Devin Neal. And uh, then Lance Leipold coming to him sometime after the season was over and said, Devin, uh, we're going to make some changes, um, and we thought it would help us best if you played quarterback next year. So then, you know, Devin would go out and play quarterback and be first-team All-American next year at quarterback. And that's exactly what happened to John Hale. And I'm not saying that Devin Neal couldn't do that. He's an excellent athlete, but it would be a tall task for anyone in modern-day football to accomplish that. And that's exactly what John Hale was was able to do. It, things just came natural to, to John. He was, you know, he was great at everything he did. He was a great baseball player. He was great in track and field. Um, he was a tough kid, you know kind of a blue-collar, tough kid, natural. He was he was the natural um, in his day, and, uh, and he just happened to love KU. Well, and obviously wild that he's not in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, too, because after KU, he goes to the, the Chargers and, and the Rams. He's, you know, when, when you talk about just a star player, in every sense of the word, like star on the field, star off the field. Statistically, he's there. It, it feels like to me, I, I hope that he does eventually get into the Hall of Fame. I know they have these kind of uh, belabored votes where, where guys who have been through the process, then they get brought back up later. It would be unfortunate if he does make it in while he's not alive to kind of go through that process. But, but certainly someone that I feel like should be in, in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Absolutely. I mean, he's He's got better numbers than uh, more than just a couple of uh, current players that are in there that are quarterbacks, and I think it will happen. And unfortunately, uh, John won't be alive to see that. You know, maybe uh, maybe he knew, maybe he knew that's you know what the destiny was going to be that he wouldn't see it, but it would happen someday. I, I, I don't know that. But he, he was a great pro. I remember, you know, I was not old enough to watch him when he was at Kansas, but I was a big KU fan beginning when I was 10 years old. And before, you know, I really got into the Chiefs, I remember going to a Chiefs game, and I had enough money to buy one pennant, and I bought a pennant for the San Diego Chargers because <laughs> there was a Jayhawk that was the quarterback there and John Hadle. I mean, so that's just it's just crazy. And just thinking back through this in the last couple of days of how John Hadel has impacted me uh, and cheered him on, on on Sundays. And you know, back then in the in the in the sixties and seventies, 
there was a lot of Jayhawks, you know, in the NFL, AFL, uh, that you could cheer uh, every Sunday. And, that, you know, I, I think the future will, will be this, you know, similar under Lance Leipold, but that's just something we haven't experienced recently, you know, just having a, a large number of players that you turn every channel and you've got another guy to cheer for. But certainly John Hadle was one of the very, very best in the AFL when he was with the Chargers and then switched leagues and became, he had an MVP season with the Rams as well. So uh, what a comeback he made in his career when he switched leagues. Uh, and, and as far as who is who is the greatest, you, you know, you, you mentioned Sayers, mm-hmm. you mentioned Hadle. Ray Evans I would put yeah. in there as well. Ray, you know, he set the record that will never be broke for a number of interceptions in a season. I think it's like 17. And that's when they and weren't passing also, that much. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Obviously not very good. <laughs> but uh, – and you know, you could talk about the fact that you know, not not um, African Americans didn't have the opportunity to play in there, so that certainly impacted things. And and certainly, I get that, and respect that as well. But uh, I would throw Ray Evans in with that group, and you know, Todd Reising, his impact on our team in '08 would be up there. So there's a number of them, but John's right at the top, and certainly the Mount Rushmore, and then. You know, I know you're going to get to his coaching days and fundraising days, and if you consider all that, you know, there there would be some arguments that that he would be, you know, number one. Yeah. Um, So I guess we'll go to that next. He eventually does come back to Kansas. He was your offensive coordinator. I I don't know if it was for your whole career or uh, just your last season there, but talk to me what he was like as a coach. He was, I guess young people would call it chill. You know, he would he could settle anyone down because that's just how he played. You know, he didn't get all ultra, you know, crazy excited. Um, he was just chill as a coach, and it kind of it kind of got you know made everyone feel a little bit more calm. He had a calming effect on everyone. The first time I met him, he came back. We were running the wishbone under Bud Moore, and he just finished. I think he did a little stint with the Oilers at the end of his career, and he left there and, and showed up on campus. And I believe he did get hired with Bud Moore, but it was pretty useless because we ran the wishbone, so he's not going to have a big impact there. Bud Moore was fired in that season, and Don Fambro came in, and I'm talking about 1978 9 and then Don Fambro hired him as the offensive coordinator and the quarterback's coach. And uh, that's when you know, he, he worked with us. I was on the offense. I was a tight end at the time that he came. Um, so I spent a little more time with him then. Eventually got moved to, to be an offensive guard. Uh, I remember he would call me in uh, when I was a senior because I was the offensive captain and talked to me about some things that he wanted to do and, you know, the the conversations he wanted me to have with the, with the offense and the huddle and so forth. We had a young quarterback in Frank Sire. Uh, he was a sophomore when I was a senior. So uh, that, that was really special, uh, a great memory that I have that, you know, I was able to interact with him in that way. And 
1982, he uh, decided he wanted to try out the NFL. Uh, he went out and spent some time with the LA Express and spent some time with the uh, Denver Broncos. It didn't take long, but he worked with Elway when he was a freshman. I think that's been documented. And then it wasn't long after that. I think it was you know maybe four years after that he came back to begin his career as a, a, the chief fundraiser for Kansas Athletics. Yeah, and I mean, talk about one of the, the biggest fundraisers for the school that they've had and somebody who just seemed to constantly be drawn back to the city of Lawrence and someone who bled crimson and blue. And with that kind of what you said, termed it as chill, just seems like you almost get this like John Wayne type of character uh, in terms of how he's described with some of the stories you'd even hear, you know, off the field in his time as, as a professional quarterback or just as just as a person and uh, an outgoing people person type of guy. And he just cared so much about this place and this town. Do you have any any story, any, any funny stories or favorite stories uh, about, I don't know, anything that John did in the past or, or any interaction that you had with him? We talked uh, a lot over the years because we, you know, aside from Mangino and, and Glenn Mason, you know, we went through some struggling times since um, John was the coach and I was playing there. And, you, you know, we would just kind of laugh it off and and uh, just talk about, hey, you know, there's going to be brighter days. Or, you know, there's going to be a future. We can do this. Um, and as a fundraiser, he was the perfect person because if you're John Smith, capable of giving a lot of money to the University of Kansas, I mean, who do you want to go out and have dinner with? Mm-hmm. You want to go out and have dinner with John Hadel, and he was just a fun guy to be around. And uh, and Bill Self, you know, pegged him correctly at the presser yesterday. I mean, he never took himself too serious. It was never like, you know, I had. 40,000 yards passing in the, in, in the NFL or AFL. And, you know, he was just a guy and he was a lot of fun and he's not going to be a guy that's going to be bothered, you know, the end of the night, you know, after you had a great time saying, Hey, we, we need your help. You know, let's write a check. <laughs> you know, and I've heard stories like that, that he was just, you know, it, it there's no amount of money that was too big for him to uh, to ask for if he needed to, and he helped us so many times. And so many times when we needed something, you know, whether it be um, I'm trying to think of some of the little um, things that we needed on a more of an emergency basis within the athletics department, he would be the guy that they would contact, and John would call, you know, some people he knew. And said, "Hey, we really need this. We need your help." And uh, you know, he would come through. So there was just uh, many, many instances where they needed some money on the fly, and they went to John Hadel, who had his contacts, and he reached out and, and he brought the money home. So that was really big for not just football, but for the entire athletics department, and that's where. You know, his last 30 years at Kansas, it, it goes beyond, you know, just the category of a football player. 
or a football coach. This is raising money for all the sports at Kansas. All right, who's uh, who's drinking who under the table in their prime, John Hadle or Greg Gurley? Well, John, uh, John had the ability to, uh, to, 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 uh, to, to do that. I actually remember, uh, sometimes, you know, uh, before a game, he would, uh, he, he would, uh, you know, get the game plan down, uh, talk to the players he needed to talk to. And then, uh, he had an assistant coach by the name of Bruce DeHaven, who, uh, later went on to have a, 30-year career as the top special teams coach in the NFL. But 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 they would go out and, um, you know, relieve some tension, I guess you could say. <laughs> and uh, and uh, there, there, would, uh, there would not be a whole lot of sleep, but, uh, but I think that's just uh, Al Hadel operated. I mean, he was, he, he was like in the minds of the, the rich and famous or the the, the superstars that that you know he went he went for it he went for it and he was he was larger than life in a lot of ways well david i appreciate you sharing some stories and, and insight into into john hadel i don't know if there's anything else you want to add with you know any lasting impact or anything like that but uh appreciate you coming on here and and doing this with me well it's always a pleasure and you know what that that he was part of that great generation uh and we've lost some recently i mean bill linhart jerry wall i mean guys that were were outstanding athletes at kansas and they came back and gave back uh and the big question is who's going to be you know those next guys in the next generation to do that uh that are just going to give uh um, their entire lives and their careers and, and do everything they can to help their university for their entire life. Uh, because those guys meant so much and we have lost them. And so, you know, we need, we need some new people to step up. Awesome, David. Well, great stuff as always, man. I hope you have a, uh, fun weekend ahead here. Um, Obviously, some time off in between some games, and uh, looking forward to seeing whatever the bowl game is over the weekend as well. All right, Derek, I look forward to talking to you about that, and thanks for having me on. That was David Lawrence of the Jayhawk Radio Network. Really cool insight there into the great life of John Hadle. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk, one hour down, two to go on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN, depending on it. Welcome back in. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson here. If you're looking for the perfect destination for your next social or corporate gathering, Venue 1235, a large climate-controlled event space with a catering kitchen, private suite, and a covered patio has you covered. They are located right off I-70 and five minutes from downtown Lawrence. Chiefs have a big one this Sunday, certainly the, the biggest game remaining for them, taking on the Cincinnati Bengals. And I, I guess that's what's maybe most interesting about you know, obviously, everybody's going to talk about the revenge game, the opportunity to beat a team who, I mean, you lost in the regular season in Cincinnati, and then you played them in Arrowhead, and you blew that lead, and they go to the Super Bowl, a game that you feel like you obviously should have won, and then you feel feel like that, you know, you probably should have won if you were in the Super Bowl at that point. 
Um, so certainly felt like a missed opportunity with with how things got away from you there. That'll be the conversation. The conversation will be Burrow versus Mahomes and everything. But I do think from a just this season perspective, when you do look at the schedule the rest of the way, like the Chiefs have, and that even includes the game on Sunday, the Chiefs have the easiest schedule remaining by opponent win percentage, and it's actually kind of a big drop. Like theirs is like it's like thirty seven percent, and the next worst is in like the forties. Now I do think like a team like I don't know the Raiders who you play might be a little better than four and seven. Are they that much better? Probably not. Uh, but I guess the point is this one feels a little similar to me that like the Chargers game from a couple weeks ago in that you had the opportunity versus the Chargers that if you won that game. You basically put a stranglehold on the AFC West. You didn't clinch it, but at that point, it would take a monumental collapse to not win the division. If you win this game, you put a stranglehold on the AFC for the one seed. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, and what's crazy about the Bengals is, like, remember, they started the season pretty shaky, Mm -hmm. but they've looked a lot better. They're on a three-game win streak, so they seem like they've kind of figured things out. But you're absolutely right. I mean, when you look at the Chiefs' remaining schedule— Houston's on there. Anytime you've got the Broncos twice, like that's going to really help out a lot. Uh, the Seattle game suddenly might be a little more interesting, I guess. But but even still, you feel really, really good about the Chiefs situation. And certainly if they can take care of business against the Bengals, they'll be in a, even in a better position. Because when you look at the Bills, the Bills still have Miami. They still have the Jets. They have uh, some games that they could definitely slip up in. And so for the Chiefs, a win against the Bengals on Sunday would absolutely, I feel like, put them in the driver's seat for sure. Uh, for the AFC, which is huge for Kansas City, right? I mean, the AFC has run through Arrowhead for, what, the past four years now? <laughs> so yeah, that that could continue, and you feel really good whenever you're at home if you're the Chiefs. And, yeah, obviously the Bengals were able to come back and get a win uh, in the AFC Championship game last year. But, I mean, you still got to like your chances if you're the Chiefs, right? I mean, j- uh, you again, the Chiefs' curse of, Oh, all the best players are coming back for, for the Chiefs play. It's happening again. Joe Mixon's going to be back, it sounds like. Jamar Chase is back. And and so, yeah, it's a little concerning. But uh, the, the Chiefs have been playing really, really well lately, and I, I don't think there's any reason for them to to be uh, overly concerned. The Bengals are a solid team, but I think the Chiefs should be able to get this one done. And, and you know, they, they kind of sleptwalked through the game against the Rams, you know, reasonably so because of the Rams' injury situation and whatnot. So I have a feeling that the Chiefs are going to be very turned up for this game and Certainly you expect the Bengals to be, but uh, again, I think you have to like the Chiefs in this one. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. The Bengals will be very turned up for this game, but you, very rarely anymore with the Chiefs do you get a game where like, there's only a, a couple games every year that they're circling and they're coming in with that mentality of exactly. we have the chip on our shoulder, and this is one of those games because yeah. of what happened last season. And it's 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 kind of one of those, like it's almost like the Kansas basketball effect where everybody gets up when they play the Chiefs. And for the Chiefs, like you said, there are not very many games where the Chiefs are like coming in with a chip on their shoulder, and the Bengals is definitely one of them, especially after what the Bengals have done to the Chiefs of the past couple of years. And you know, I, I think you would love if you're Mahomes to, to get a win against Burrow because uh, as much as we, as much as people in the AFC would put like Mahomes. Allen and Herbert in the same category, it's really Mahomes, Allen, and Burrow more yeah. so, right? So. This is a guy that you're going to have to get through probably multiple times over the next years uh, if you're the Chiefs in the playoffs, similarly to Josh Allen and Buffalo. So you'd like to get one here in the regular season to kind of give yourself a little more confidence. Not that I don't, not that I think the Chiefs need necessarily need that sort of confidence booster, but uh, you'd love to go into his house and, and take him down. Uh, that's going to 100% fair or unfair, which probably is unfair. 
if if the Bengals win this game, that's going to start being a national conversation. Now, how much do I really care about you know the national debate shows? Nothing. I, I don't care at all. But it is going to be a topic that, you know, if you watch those shows in the morning, just be ready. If, if the Chiefs do lose to the Bengals, Joe Burrow owns Patrick Mahomes. He's 3-0 against him, right? Uh, again, I don't care for it, but that will be a thing that happens uh, if that goes on. By the way, have you seen this week, like, all the the social media stuff and, and in the media stuff from, yeah. uh, like, Justin Reed and, and the Cincinnati receivers? <laughs> yeah, and I, if you saw, there was, also, there was also a clip of Hayden Hurst, uh, the tight end for the Bengals, who was like, yeah, Justin Reed came and was talking some crap to me, and I don't even know why. Like, it's like, <laughs> dude, that, that's the kind of attitude you need if you're a guy in the secondary. Just go just go talk shop to anybody who's around you, right? So, but I love that he's talking trap. Because so what happened, if, if you missed it, I guess we should catch up in case you have no idea what we're talking about. Um, so Justin Reed, chief safety, uh, was basically like asked some questions about, you know, what could be different this year and, and all that stuff. And he said, uh, well, I'm going to try to lock up like or, or I'm going to lock up T. Higgins. And he said that and T. Higgins, obviously very good receiver. And that was kind of like, oh, OK. <laughs> and then he he replied to the tweet video that came out of the comment and said, to be honest, I meant Hayden Hurst, which is quite the mix up because Hayden Hurst, you know, fine, solid tight end. But T. Higgins is like one of the, I don't know, 15 best receivers in the NFL, maybe. And uh, Hayden Hurst is just like, he, you know, he's just an average tight end, right? Um, so it's quite the mix up there. But then all the the Bengals, like receivers, got into it on social media with him. I don't know what this meant. Like Jamar Chase, Justin Reed was like, or Jamar Chase was like, we can bet on it. Um, and then Jamar, or, you know, Justin Reed responded and Jamar Chase said tuna in a can, which I don't know. Is he saying like, this is fishy? Is he saying that? <laughs> I don't know. Is that like a saying that I don't know about? Who knows? And then uh, T. Higgins was playing like ping pong the other day in a Hayden Hurst jersey. Uh, so we've kind of got all the fun with it. That is something that I don't love, the fact that you are giving these really talented receivers a little extra ammunition, but also, yeah. I don't know. They're, don't gonna, you think it's interesting they're really how, good anyway. Don't you think it's interesting how the, the Bills-Chiefs rivalry feels like a very friendly like camaraderie, like, oh, you know, we're buds, whatever, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? And the Bills and the, the Bengals, like, I think there's definitely some legit, like, no love lost. Oh, for the Bengals, 100%. Teams. Yeah. Because it feels like it's like you had no business losing maybe both those games last year. And the fact that you, like, the game in Cincinnati, remember how much the refs, like, messed up the game? Yes. Um, the that it, was yeah. kind of annoying. And you had the the kind of, I don't know, brash factor of, of Joe Burrow and whatnot that you can tell it's starting to eat at Chiefs fans, certainly, which, which is totally understandable. I, I just... I hope this doesn't become similar because the games were so different, the two games that were played. The first game in Cincinnati was all about Jamar Chase. The Chiefs kept single covering him, and he he went off for like 250 yards, several touchdowns. Um, They had that one third and long where if they get off the field, they they might win the game. They just chuck it deep. They have one-on-one with Jamar Chase, and and he hits it. I just hope in key moments the Chiefs don't single cover him. But then the second game in the AFC Championship – it wasn't as much like the Bengals offense did fine. They put up, you know, 24 points. They had a solid game, but it wasn't like an explosive game from them. It was more about the Chiefs just struggling in the second half. It was about the Bengals defense. And that's been a consistent theme that theme that's carried over this year. I, I would be shocked if the Bengals defense coordinator doesn't get a head coaching job soon. Um, because this guy has done amazing stuff with that. Like his adjustments that he makes from half to half are incredible. And and they shut down the Chiefs in the first game in the first in the uh, second half also. After in the first half they uh, really looked unstoppable. So he makes unbelievable adjustments, and that'll be the key for the Chiefs. How do they adjust offensively in the second half? But the fact that they did play better 
against the offense and Jamar Chase in the second game in the AFC Championship does give me hope that they won't be torched to that same degree in this game. Yeah, yeah, you would hope so. And, you know, you got McDuffie now, right? A guy you didn't have last year. You've got some other rookies who have kind of been coming along a little bit. Like Jalen Watson's been pretty good. Just Joshua Williams has had some up and down games. So you feel pretty good. And, I mean, Legereus Sneed is a legit shutdown guy, I think, in the slot. So he's the guy that you'd probably want to put on T. Higgins to, to lock him up in the slot. So there's definitely some options for, for the Chiefs defensively. And, and Chris Jones has been playing at an all-pro level, probably the best defensive tackle in the in the league right now, one of one of the top two or three for sure. So you, you feel pretty good about that. And if the Chiefs can generate some pass rush, that'll be good. And defensively, yeah, the Bengals, you know, they're a team that was not a good defensive team, right? They had, That was not one of the things they'd been really good at. And they've gotten a lot better, and they, they have some talent on that side. So it should be a challenge for the Chiefs. But, again, I, I think if you're a Chiefs fan – I don't think there's any reason to not be confident that Kansas City can't go in and get a win on Sunday. Yeah, I think the the big thing for me is just, again, like Jamar Chase can have a good game. It can't be a takeover <laughs> game. You know what I mean? Like, I guess same for T. Higgins there. Like, it can't – if Jamar Chase has seven catches for 102 yards and a touchdown, sure, that's not ideal, but you can live with that. You can win the game with that. If oh, he yeah. has 10 catches for 230 yards, same for T. Higgins, that is where the problem comes in. Or if Joe Mixon has 150 rushing yards – yeah, I guess um, you could look at this and say we think the Chiefs' defense has kind of reached that next level. Of and this being will be the best good. test. Yeah, exactly. Right? This will be the game where we, I guess we'll really find out if they have kind of entered into that top ten, top twelve defenses in the league discussion. Now, on the offensive side of the ball, like I said, the Bengals have done a great job adjusting so far this season. They've been a, a really solid defense overall. This is maybe a perfect opportunity because the, the big adjustment the Bengals made in that second half of the, the AFC Championship. They went to three down linemen, and they had a QB spy, and then the other seven just went back. And they, and they just prevented big plays. They they made tight windows for Mahomes to throw into. And the Chiefs, on occasion, would run the ball or throw it short and, and try to get them off that. But they didn't. The, the Chiefs didn't have enough maybe patience or composure, whatever the word would be, to stay committed to that. I think with what we've seen from Isaiah Pacheco the past three weeks, yeah. really, if the Bengals do that again— I feel more confident, and also the fact that the Chiefs are more of a balanced passing offense with who they're going to throw it to. Yeah, they can get stuff done in the intermediate I feel like they're better adept to going against if the Bengals do that again this time around than last season. Um, So that's a good sign. But I also feel, so Therese Paler, former Kansas City star, like died too early and everything. One one thing that he used to say was somebody having like an over his, his dead body game. I feel like that's going to be the case for Patrick Mahomes here. This is an over-his-dead body game, body game for Patrick Mahomes. I'm expecting a huge performance where he comes up in the clutch over and over again, and this is kind of that revenge game for the Chiefs. Hopefully so. And I think, like I said, you have to feel pretty good about it. And Yeah, I mean, this this game could really lock things up in the AFC for the Chiefs to have a run through our head again in the playoffs. Yeah. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. That is our Chiefs preview. We're going to get to our game picks, and we'll actually pick that game as part of it. Uh, coming up in our next segment. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. 
It's that time of the week on Rock Chalk Sports Talk for game picks of the biggest games ahead from this weekend. Boy, that sounds great. And you know what? It'll be nice having a little extra cash to bet on college football. Right here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Yeah, I'd like to bet 100 bucks. You want to pick a team? No, just take it. All right, it is that time on a Friday to get to our game picks with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. And uh, last week, very good for one Nick Springer, very hey. bad for one Derek Johnson. So let's go. Yeah, uh, you went eight and two overall. You are now fifty-seven, sixty-nine, and four with your locks. You are sixty-nine, eighty, and six. I. Went just three and seven overall. I am 61, 65, and four, or 72, 79, and four with the locks. All right, closing the gap. We'll start in college football where you are 30 and 40, but again, four and one last week. I am just 28 and 42, one and four last week. First up, Pac 12 title. This game's tonight. Number 11, Utah versus number four, USC. The Trojans are giving up two and a half. Yeah, I'm going to go with USC here. I mean, they've got the college football playoff to play for. It's a revenge game against Utah. It's a game that they barely lost at Utah last time they played. So I have to go with USC. I I mean, I understand that Utah is probably going to come in trying to, to knock USC out of the playoff, but the Trojans, to me, have way more to play for, and it's going to be another high-scoring game, I think, and this feels like a game where maybe it's close late, but USC, I think, is going to pull away and, and cover the 2.5, so I'm going with USC. My heart says Utah because I want chaos for the. I, I want to see what happens if. Also, I have. I, I made a bet. I, I mentioned this on Alabama at 50 to 1 to, to win the playoff and okay. like 15 yeah, so to 1 to make USC the playoff. To lose. But I also, after Ohio State lost to Michigan, I hit Ohio State at 20 to 1 to win the title. Okay. Because well, I figured. If neither one of them are in the playoff. Just I know, screwed. I know. Well, I just figured it was a. I just need basically. One of USC or TCU to lose, and and I don't know if TCU loses, they still might make it. But if USC loses, I definitely feel like Ohio State's in over them. USC would for sure be out, mm-hmm. and then it would be a question of yeah, what maybe you know who would be in, I guess after that. But yeah, I mean, I I just think USC is going to be Caleb Williams is going to have his Heisman moment, and they're going to win. I do agree. My head says <laughs> USC. Uh, yeah, all those. Same reasons you used. I'll take USC. <laughs> number 10, Kansas State versus number 3, TCU in Dallas. The Horned Frogs are giving up two and a half. I got to ride with TCU here. I can't I can't pick Ema. Sorry. Can't do it. I'm going to go with TCU. I mean, they've been really, really good. They found ways to win games. I understand that K-State was beating up on them before Will Howard got hurt last time they played, but I I just don't care. I don't care. I think, <laughs> I think, I think TCU is going to win. Uh, they're going to find a way and... Great teams find a way to win, and that's kind of what TCU's been. I understand that they've had some games where they've played against backup quarterbacks or whatever, but that doesn't matter, right? They, they have found ways to win all of their games, and I, I think they're going to find a way to do it again against Kansas State. I'll take TCU. How about this? I'm going to say Kansas State wins by double digits. <laughs> you think so? Yeah, I, I do <laughs> buy into the, the whole Will Howard thing with him um, playing so well of late and the fact that they were up big till he got injured. I feel like TCU. I think TCU's won eight games by single digits this year. Now that's partially. Is that luck going to run out? Then you think? I, I it, it's partially luck. I do think there is I something mean, yeah, to the notion luck. of. I mean, there is there is a notion of great teams win close. Yeah, games, exactly. Right? And like, if you are the better team, you're going to win more. Like, look at Kansas basketball. They tend to win a lot of those, right? Yeah. If you're well coached, or you don't make mistakes, and also the fact that the Big Twelve has a lot of just like good teams. 
where every single week you can't really have a letdown. I mean, listen, it's going to lead to closer games. Kansas was on the verge of beating TCU, mm-hmm. right? If, if, if Jalen Daniels doesn't fumble on the one-yard line early in that game, that could be a totally different game. Kansas maybe wins that game, right? So it's it, you're, you're absolutely right about that. I am going with Kansas State, though, but there is a worry in the back of my mind that a lot of people are going with Kansas State, and for TCU, even as the favorite, they can play that same, same kind of thing yes. with the Chiefs, where they can play that chip-on-the-shoulder card where they're going – Everybody's saying that win we had over them doesn't count because their quarterbacks were injured and they blew a big lead. Let's show them, and then they go out there and they, they win the game anyway. But I will go with Kansas State. Uh, number 14, LSU versus number one, Georgia. Bulldogs are giving up 17.5. All right, something interesting about this game. LSU actually is 3-1 and one against Georgia in the SEC title wow. game all time. So that's kind of interesting. It's not going to happen this time, though. Georgia, <laughs> Three and Georgia's going Georgia's to steamroll them. I, I mean, I don't... I don't see any, any reason to, that would suggest why Georgia wouldn't steamroll them. Georgia is the best team in the country by far. I'll take Georgia. 18, 17 and a half is not enough. Give me Georgia. There's part of me that wanted to pick LSU because they have a lot more to play for here than Georgia. Georgia's in the playoff no matter what. For LSU, they're coming off a loss. and I mean, you still want to win the SEC title. You do, but I feel like, like if LSU loses this game, they're not in New Year's Six Bowl. Probably not. Whereas no. if they win, they're they're going to the Sugar Bowl. So like it is a big difference in what they could play in. I do think Georgia wins the game in even in that scenario, but maybe it would be a closer game and LSU could keep it close. You also have the Brian Kelly factor though. In these big games against like the top tier <laughs> opponents, he loses by a lot, right? So I guess he did beat Alabama. I'll give him the, the tip of the cap there. Um I do think Georgia though, I, I feel like this is a game where they just bury the LSU offense. And they just slowly work their way to like a 34-10 to 10 victory. Yep. I'll take the Bulldogs. AAC Championship, winner of this is going to go to a New Year's Six Bowl. Number 22, UCF, at number 18, Tulane. The Wave are giving up four. I'm kind of surprised Tulane's favorite in this game. UCF beat them last time they played. And at UCF, I think, even though it was a close game, I think UCF pretty much controlled it for the most part when they played last time. So I, I think Tulane is kind of more of the team that's gotten more national coverage or more national hype of like, oh, Tulane, right? But uh, I'm going to go with UCF here. I, I think uh, they're, they're going to find a way to get to get it done, and and uh, I like the Knights here. I definitely think four is too much. This felt like if you're going to favor Tulane, it should be by maybe a point, two points, two and a half, to where like UCF could still lose this game by three and cover the spread. I'm, I'm taking yeah. UCF. I like Gus Malzahn in this big game. Like He's been there before. I, I like Willie Fritz, too, as a head coach, but I, I think Gus Malzahn will, will have him ready to go, so I'm taking UCF plus the four. Purdue is at number two, Michigan. The Wolverines well, are giving up 17. Isn't this at in Indianapolis? I'm sorry, not at, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> okay, I'm going Purdue. Come on, let's go Purdue. Listen, we talked about it. This is the, These are the games that Purdue is made for. Purdue is made for this opportunity right here. A huge underdog, a team that's potentially going to the playoff. Purdue is going to come in, and they are going to steamroll Michigan. <laughs> Give me the Boilermakers. So everybody has made the assumption that Michigan is a lock to make the playoff. And Blake Corum's out. I know. Now that he's out for the season, if they do lose big, maybe that does become more of a conversation. That, <laughs> But then again, with Ohio State, you can't, you can't put them below <laughs> Ohio State now because they'd have one more win, the same amount of losses. They beat them by 22 at home. So I guess they are a lock. Um, I'm going to go Michigan. I, I think the fact that... Like part of the the Purdue, the aura around them being able to upset these teams, an unranked team when they play a top five team, is that maybe they're overlooked a little bit. 
It's hard to overlook a team when you're in the Big Ten <laughs> Championship. So I'm going to take Michigan. I guess that's fair. Minus 17. I, I could see Purdue starting hot, though. Yeah. No, where, I, like, maybe you take Purdue in the first half. I don't think Purdue's going to win, but they, they're they going to cover 17. Mm-hmm. Last one, number nine, Clemson versus number 23, North Carolina. The Tigers giving up seven and a half. Yeah, I'm going to go with North Carolina here. I just I don't think Clemson can cover seven and a half. Like, I don't know if North Carolina is going to win, but I think they're going to keep it close enough. And, like, the thing about it is North Carolina's offense is obviously very explosive, and if they score a lot, I mean, is Clemson going to keep up? Like, I don't know. And even if they are, I don't think they're going to win by more than eight. So I'm taking North Carolina. I don't know that they're going to win, but – to me, this this feels like it'll be a closer game than seven and a half with with North Carolina's offense. A little worried because the Carolina offense has been slow in the last few weeks, and their defense is so bad. But I I, I just don't think Clemson's like that good this year. Like, they're, no. don't get me wrong, you know they're they're ten and two, right? You're not going to complain about that. But they're they're a fine ten and two team. Maybe it's just <laughs> the expectations we have built no, up for yeah, Clemson. I agree with you. But I, I think Carolina keeps it close. Uh, lock of the week, you're seven and six in college. What are you going with? I'm going to go with UTSA minus eight and a half versus North Texas in the Conference USA Championship game. UTSA has been a really solid team all year. Both of their losses have been really close. Uh, they, they almost beat Houston early in the season, right? They could they could even be eleven and one. So I'm going with UTSA here. I think they have a lot to play for trying to get this win. And, and UTSA has an outside shot at getting into a New Year's Six Bowl conversation. They got snubbed from the CFP, I guess, which kind of maybe dims their hopes. But but I think because of that, they're going to come out uh, and get the big win against North Texas. So give me UTSA. Yeah, if they would have won that game against Houston in yeah, double they overtime. Sure, they would for sure be in that conversation. 100%. I'm 6-7 and seven on locks. I'm going to go with Boise State minus three against Fresno State. This Boise team's been a wagon in Mountain West play. They've gone undefeated. I think they get this one at home. I think in the Mountain West they do it at the 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 better seed or whatever it is. Gets I'm the not, home game. I'm not 100 percent sure. Honestly. I'm not either. But <laughs> I, either way, I'm taking Boise minus the three. <laughs> on to the NFL, where on the season you are 27, 29, and four after a four and one week. I am 33, 23, and four after a two and three week. New York Jets at Minnesota. Vikings are going up three. You know what question I'm going to ask you? It is a noon game. Is this a 12 o'clock game? (laughs) Well, then give me the Vikings, baby. This is tough, though, because I have been a Jets rider for like a good chunk of the season, and it's kind of worked out, but it's a 12 o'clock game. I can't go against my guy, Kirk. I got to pick Minnesota. (laughs) I'm going Minnesota, too. Perfect noon game. But I don't know, man. Mike White, he could. He's hot. He could could be the new 12 o'clock Kirk Cousins. Yeah, this would not surprise me if the Jets did. Did come out with it where they the defense stops Kirk Cousins to you know thirteen points and three interceptions and then Mike White does enough and they win seventeen to thirteen, but I am yeah. going to go Minnesota, Washington minus two and a half at the Giants. Another team I've been riding with for a good chunk of the season, the New York Giants. Listen, everyone, I I'm kind of surprised. Everyone is just already out on the Giants, right? And they still they're seven they're seven and four I think right seven and four. Yes. Yeah, they're seven and four, and everyone thinks they're like the worst team in the NFL. I don't understand. So I'm taking the Giants here. I'm I'm taking the Giants. They're just kind of tanking at the end of the <laughs> season, man. I'm going Washington. I think there's a reason they're favored. I think Washington's just a better football team. They they probably are, but I'm still going to take the Giants. Tennessee at Philadelphia. The Eagles are minus four and a half. Dude, this this feels like a trap line. Four mm-hmm. and a half for the Eagles? I mean, now, okay, we just got done talking about how everyone thinks the Giants suck. Why does everyone think Tennessee's great? They, 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 I don't understand that either. Give me Philadelphia. Okay. I think the Titans keep it close. I really do. 
They're they're the team when they're playing up against other teams, they keep it really close. They almost beat the Chiefs. Played close with the Bengals last week. I like the Titans. This is going to be a low-scoring physical football game, I think. Okay. Miami at San Francisco. The 49ers giving up four points in the battle of, I guess, former coach compadres. Oh, okay. Um, this is the one I feel least confident about. I I'm leaning Miami, but I'm I even right now I'm like incredibly unsure. I'm gonna go with Miami here. I yeah, minus four for San Francisco. Like, can we really trust Jimmy D Jimmy G to score enough points to cover four? Like, like the the Niners could win this game, but I don't know if they're gonna win by more than four. Like, yeah. I mean, this could be like 23-20, I guess Niners or something like that. But I'm gonna go with Miami. I agree with that. I also like the 49ers defense has been great, but we also saw like the Chiefs game where if you can throw the ball around the field a bit. You can yeah. you can get some stuff against them, and I think Miami can do that. With yeah, for sure. Two one and Tyree Kale and Jalen Waddle. So I'm going to go Miami plus four points. Last one, Kansas City minus two at Cincinnati. They gave me the Chiefs. So I'm going to take them. Uh, I think the the Chiefs are the better team. I think Mahomes is going to come out with his hair on fire and really try to make a statement. Uh, the the Chiefs have. I, I think I, again, kind of what we were discussing earlier. The, the Chiefs. It feels like the Chiefs have something to prove in this game, which sounds crazy because they're the favorite. They're the the better team, I think, but it just it feels like they have something to prove. So I think they're going to come out and get and get a win against Cincinnati. Give me the Chiefs. Yep, revenge game for Mahomes. Don't get to say that too often. I'm going with the Chiefs. What is your lock of the week? You are five five and two. So this is to get back above five hundred. Okay, this is a lock. This is my lock, but it's a very nervous lock because I don't really understand why the line is this. The Chargers are plus one <laughs> at the Raiders. That feels like a big time trap, but I'm I'm going to take it. I'm taking the Chargers. I think the Chargers are going to win. Okay, I am 5-7 and seven on my locks. Tampa Bay, New Orleans. I think it's the Monday Night Football game. Absolute stinker on primetime. Under 40 <laughs> and a half points. Tom Brady, I, I feel like he never scores 20 anymore. I Tom feel like Brady it's always like 17 points stinks. every week. Yeah, he stinks. And then the Saints offense, as long as they don't go to Jameis, which it feels like they're not going to, <laughs> they'll probably, you know, against the Bucks, end up with like 14 points. I feel great about that under at 40 and a half. That is our picks for the week. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Lie detector test next. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Derek Johnson with Nick Springer. Don't forget you can check out anything you missed on the Best of RCST podcast wherever you find your podcast. No KU action coming at you this weekend. Rare weekend where there's uh, nothing, but we'll be back next week with some Hawk Talks, and then the Missouri game will be the next KU basketball game a week from this Saturday on December 10th. We've got another edition of our lie detector test, though, here on RCST, and we'll start with Boo Corrigan. You might be wondering, who is Boo Corrigan? Yeah, I don't even know who that is. What a name, by the way. sounds like a fake name. First name is Boo. That's got to be a... Like a nickname nickname. or like something. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Could Could just be Boo. Could be. Maybe he was born on Halloween and his mom was like, boo. <laughs> or he came out and said boo. Yeah. He picked his name. Uh, he is the college football playoff committee chair. That's who he is. Okay. So was he an athletic director for some school? Yeah, I feel like they always are. I don't. It might be like Ole Miss or something. I don't remember. That would, that would honestly, I could picture the Ole Miss athletic director being named Boo Corrigan. Mm-hmm. Well, here's what he said. Because after, after they released the rankings every Tuesday night, uh, they meet with the media and they have pool reporters and they also talk like on the actual ESPN show with like Reese Davis. 
He said it is, quote, not necessarily the case, end quote, that Ohio State would stay ahead of Alabama this weekend. <laughs> Neither team plays this weekend. What? <laughs> What are we doing? What? That's got to be a lie, right? Yeah, this this does seem like it's obviously a lie because how can you move up when you don't play anybody? <laughs> and the, and other the other team doesn't, doesn't play anybody like either. <laughs> what? What? Okay. So is basically what he's saying that if Michigan, he's saying if Michigan gets wait, what's, no, no, yeah, I think no, it if has Michigan to be the other gets way. blown out. Yeah, then yeah, yeah, Alabama could jump Ohio State because it would be like, oh, well, Ohio State's loss is even worse now. Yes. Which is, like, pretty dumb logic. Because Michigan would still be, like, top four. (laughs) Okay, also, uh, you want to guess where Boo Kerrigan is the athletic director of? Oh, I just guessed Ole Miss, so it's not that. Um, No, it's it's NC State. Oh, gosh, I would have never guessed that. I was going to say, give me a conference, but I would have never got it, so I'm glad you told me. And his first name is Eugene. It's not Boo. Uh, I like Boo better. (laughs) (laughs) A, A Boo Corrigan... For this, for the purposes of this segment, it Boo Corrigan is definitely more of a villain name. Yes, one hundred percent. So yeah, that's clearly a lie. Correct. Okay. Uh, yeah, hundred percent. How about this one? Okay. Lie detector test. Oh, look, what do you know? Boo Corrigan again. <laughs> Quote: We didn't see any reason to move Georgia out of the top spot. You didn't see any reason. <laughs> I mean. The fact that Michigan beat down Ohio State, which is better than any of Georgia. Well, I guess it's a little better than any of Georgia ones. Because uh, Ohio State's ranked fifth. Tennessee is ranked seventh. Yep. But Michigan's win was on the road. Georgia's was at home. Yep. So that win is, it's not like a lot better, but it's better. Then also Michigan's second best win is blowing out Penn State, who's ranked eighth. Who is Georgia's second best win? Mm. Oregon, I guess, from yeah, the non-con, and they're Oregon. ranked 17th, I think. Yeah, probably Oregon. So Michigan's number two win, better than Georgia's number or, two win. Uh, Georgia, they beat And they then beat outside of that. Did they, beat, did they play Ole Miss? No. They didn't play Ole Miss. Their third okay. best win would probably be against like a like, lot of like the seven-win teams, right? No, I don't even think they played Mississippi State. Maybe they did. No, they did. Oh, they did? Okay, yeah. then yeah. So Mississippi State, who's at the end of the rankings, that's a fine win. They're like 8-4. and four. I think they're 24th or 25th. Um, you have wins over like seven and five teams like Kentucky, right? Yeah, I mean, the, Florida. The, uh, a Kentucky win at the time was probably worth a lot more mm-hmm. than what it's worth now. Whereas Michigan's schedule outside of their top two wins are basically just that. It's wins over like six and six, seven and five teams um, because the Big Ten wasn't great this season. Yeah, I think the, the argument for Georgia here would be that Michigan, like if you take away the Penn State and the Ohio State games, like, they played nobody yeah. in the non-con. Yeah. No one. Well, and they even had some games, you know, like the Illinois game, where they 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 did struggle in some games. Mm-hmm. And and I'm not, but I mean, you could say the same with Georgia against like Missouri, right? Um, okay, yeah. I'm not saying I would put Michigan one, and I'm not saying that they had to like that. Uh, I'm not saying at all. I'm yeah. just saying, did he lie by saying we didn't see any reason? Because <laughs> I think you can find reasons to put Georgia ahead of them. Yeah. Or Michigan ahead of them. Okay, this might be like a. It's a little it's hyperbole, a I feel like. Yeah, or hyperbole. There you, yeah. there you go. It's hyperbole. Because I think I don't I think, I don't think it's like an outright lie. You could just make the case. Michigan has the better two wins, and I don't know, like <laughs> just that it's easy, hyperbole. right? It's hyperbole. Yeah. It's hyperbole. Okay. So uh, he's two for two, sort of on lies. Uh, yeah, we'll give it to him. All right. Uh, next on lie detector test. Oh, what do you know? Boo Corrigan again. <laughs> 
Quote, recency bias is something we do talk about on a regular basis to make sure that we are going through this and looking at the full body of work. Okay, this is 100% a lie because <laughs> they every week it's only recency bias. That's what the whole rankings is. That's all it is, right? Was it I don't I was probably not Bukorgan. Remember, wasn't there the quote where they were like, well, each week is totally independent of the previous week? <laughs> like, what do you like that's recency bias? What do you mean? Like, what 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 Wait, where's the disconnect here? No, that's stupid. <laughs> this is a good point. That each week being independent of the other week. That is means in that it's literally yeah. only recency bias. <laughs> they don't care about anything else. Only whatever happened last week. Well, and we'll we'll get to the the Tennessee Alabama thing, but if it's based on the whole body of work, then why is Alabama ahead of Tennessee? <laughs> They're right next to each other. They had the same record. Tennessee won head to head, and I don't know. It's not. I, it's kind of odd. Um, and also. To go back to the Georgia discussion, mm-hmm. if it's if this we assume this is a lie, then Michigan would be number one because their re- most recent game was they destroyed Ohio State, so that should put them ahead. Well, no, that would make this not a lie then. So he pertains no, because, to it there. No, 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 because he said to make sure that we are going through this and looking at the full body of work, so it would be a lie, right? <laughs> I don't know. I'm so <laughs> lost right now. <laughs> But yes, because if uh, they're not looking at the full body of work, then Michigan just destroyed Ohio State. I mean, there's got to be some recency bias, right? No, absolutely. Like, 100%. And there's no way to, like, it's like human nature. You can't get rid of no. recency bias. And I don't you know even I mean? know that it's it's that wrong to a certain extent. But, like, clearly you shouldn't you shouldn't be like, oh, this team just blew out this team. They, they sucked their other whatever games. We're going to vault them up. It shouldn't be that. But... Shouldn't you want like the best teams playing right now? Like I know that's not the be all end all. If you're if you're nine and three, but you've won your last nine games, like no, you're not well, allowed in the playoffs. This just goes back to we should just let a computer decide. Yes, we I suck. Agree. Humans suck. Hundred percent at picking this stuff because okay. they just get yeah. Moving on. You'll never believe who the next candidate on our lie detector test is. <laughs> who is it? Boo Corgan. Oh, how he convenient. Was, <laughs> he was asked if Tennessee would be ranked higher. If Hendon Hooker wasn't in, this is my favorite one to be clear. He was asked if Tennessee would be ranked higher if Hendon Hooker, who's their cor- starting quarterback, wasn't injured. Here was his direct quote: "Don't know." Okay, but do you think this is a lie? Maybe he legitimately does not know. I mean, but right? What if he? How, what if he honestly doesn't know? I think he does. They would be ahead of Alabama. That's the only reason that you can put them below Alabama. You have the same record. Okay. You won head to head. Yeah. It's not like this this isn't one of those years where Alabama has just torched every other opponent they played. Like they had close wins over Ole Miss and oh gosh, who was the other one? I mean, this this doesn't mean an Alabama they, they, team they basically that yeah. they've just won every game 45 to 10. Yeah. Tennessee has actually done that more than Alabama has, right? They're right next to each other in the rankings. <laughs> if only they played on the field some way. Now, the <laughs> fact that Hendon Hooker is out does, to me, make a logical case of why you could put Alabama in front of him this and is, why okay. I didn't really have a problem with it. But This is rather silly, though, because on one hand, isn't it, wasn't like one of the, the founding things of like the CFP of like, hey, we want the best team to be decided on the field. Yes. Right? And now we have what we thought was the best team decided on the field, and they're still below the other yes. team they beat. Well, here's here's uh, I actually saw somebody put this on Twitter. Let me give credit to this person. It was at G Man Vols. So obviously it is a Tennessee <laughs> fan, obviously. But um, 
he he put together this this sheet of paper. It said the rankings criteria. College football playoff selects their top 25, and this is the ranking criteria that they have sent out. These are the main ones they use. Strength of schedule, okay. head-to-head game results, results versus teams in the top 25, results versus common opponents, conference championships. So he goes through and looks at this. Strength of schedule ranking. Tennessee's ranked 7th. Alabama's ranked 8th. Okay, check mark to Tennessee. Results versus teams in the top 25. Tennessee beat LSU. They smoked LSU. Smoked LSU, 40-13. They, they beat Alabama. And they beat Alabama by three. And Alabama's Alabama. only top 25 win is over Texas. <laughs> by one point. Yes. With so, a backup quarterback for a good chunk of the game. More top 25 wins, Tennessee. Head-to-head game results. Tennessee beat Alabama. Check mark for Tennessee. <laughs> Common opponents. We mentioned they beat LSU by 27. And that was in Death Valley. Same as Alabama's. Well, Alabama lost to, to LSU. Okay, I, listen. I don't full, care full, about the Vanderbilt exactly, comparison. Exactly, full, full pause. Yeah. He put Vanderbilt on there as an argument for why for Tennessee should be ranked opponent. it. Because Tennessee beat Vanderbilt 56 to nothing, <laughs> and, Van, and Alabama won 55 to yeah, 3. I don't care like, about that one. what? I don't at all. The rest of it's fine, but brother, the end there, you, you lost me. But I guess, yeah, so, so is the college football playoff ranking criteria... Is that a lie? Well, yes. We've known all along that there's, <laughs> the criteria doesn't matter. None of it matters. It literally none of it matters. Okay, they so just the do whatever they want. There's no accountability. They can just rank whoever they want, wherever they want. Nobody cares. It's stupid. Yes. So that is a lie. But back to the the original one here. Don't know. Okay. I think with the other two presented, it's got to be a lie. Yes. Okay. Because in every other way, Tennessee would yes. be ranked ahead of them. Yeah. I think like it's got to be a lie. I don't have a problem with it. But you should be clear about that, that it did matter. Last okay, one. Yeah. I'm on board with that one. Last one. Would you like to take another guess who this is? Is it, uh, is it our, our main man, Boo Corrigan? It is Boo Corrigan. <laughs> our man of the hour. Okay, so he was asked a question. Uh, because this this I don't know if this has much impact on, on anything. I guess it could impact who makes the New Year's Six Bowl game because they go with the higher-ranked team. So that would actually suck if this team doesn't make it because of this. But Utah was ranked 11th. Washington was ranked 12th. Utah jumped over Washington. Washington was actually ranked higher a week before. And so that could heavily determine one of the teams making a New Year's Six and the other not, which would suck for Washington. So somebody was somebody asked Boo Corgan, what caused the committee to win? They reevaluated this week, jump Utah up three spots, as opposed to Washington only up one spot, which then changed the order of those two teams. Boo Corrigan responded, As we looked at it, Utah's win over Southern Cal, as Southern Cal continues to move up as well with the win over Oregon State, a couple of their losses to UCLA and Oregon. I think the other side of it is the Washington loss to Arizona State was surprising to everyone in the room. But when we're looking at the entire body of work, you've got to take everything into account. As we talked about it and talked over those Pac-12 teams in that area, it was a topic of conversation, and that Arizona State loss really stood out. That just sounds like a whole lot of nothing. Well, let me let me add something here. The USC victory for Utah. Okay. How long ago was that? Like it two was, months? Yeah, it was much earlier in the season, for sure. Was there really that big of a difference when they valued, hey, Utah last week, they beat number six USC. This week, they beat number four USC. And how about this? The loss to Arizona State was at the beginning of October. <laughs> Why are they bringing this up? Washington's loss to Arizona State was surprising to everyone in the room. It happened two months ago. You're still shocked? Arizona State sucks. <laughs> they do. But what do you 
That that has to be a lot. Why did they jump Utah over Washington? Because of the Arizona State loss. That happened two months ago. Then why were they not ahead of them to begin with? That wasn't a good loss then. That wasn't a good loss now. They just completely changed their mind. Recency bias. I don't understand, man. Boo Corrigan. I'm sorry, man. Boo, if you're listening to the show. You're a liar. Uh, we didn't mean to put your feet to the fire like no, that. No, we did. But <laughs> I did. But come on, man. Get it together with the CFP. Bring back the BCS. Agreed. All right. That is our uh, lie detector test, college football playoff edition. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. Two hours down, one to go. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it.